Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. This is, this is a passage of scripture that many of us have heard. I'm just going to read it. It's long, but I'm going to read it. It's out of the English Standard Version. This is Luke chapter 19, uh, starting with verse 28, triumphal entry. And here, here we go. And when he had said, he is Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the, mount of, uh, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Verse 34, and they said, the Lord is in need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, that's usually where we stop, but all that is building to this next part. The next few verses I'm going to keep reading. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and, and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I'm going to talk today about this passage. This is a passage that we, you know, we wave palm branches and stuff. And it kind of feels good. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. But let's get one thing straight here from the very beginning. Jesus is not surprised by the cross. He knows right now that he's riding to it. All right? So as Jesus is coming down, he's uh, leaving Bethany. He's coming down the road that leaves to the Mountain of of Olives. And I hope to be there one day. Actually, I I will be there one day. I hope to be there one day in this lifetime. But I've seen pictures of what it would look like for Jesus to be on, on this road riding on a donkey, and just kind of just get this picturesque view of Jerusalem. And Jesus knows that going to Jerusalem is he is riding to his death. So he's doing this. But it is a wild scene, and usually we celebrate with waving palm branches. We, there's not many palm branches around this area. I don't know if we really know what it means, but it's, it's what you would do for a, a conquering king coming into the city. And so people are, are using the culture of their day to worship Jesus, and Jesus is fine with that. But I want to talk about what's actually going on in this Palm Sunday triumphal entry passage and the significance of this moment for Jesus. Let's talk about what's significant for Jesus because what's significant for Jesus has good stuff for us as well. Amen? So I, I want to say this first. Here's one of the things that's going on in this passage that we just read is that Jesus is announcing that he is the Messiah. Not a Messiah, the Messiah. 
All these things that he's doing. There's, there's a lot of attention to this colt, this son of a donkey, all right? But there's a lot of attention because the getting this right is important because it is a messianic fulfillment that, uh, that is important. So Jesus is announcing that he is the Messiah. We see that in verses 28 to 34. Typically, a savior of a people or a, a new king coming to town would enter a city with a display of military power, riding on a horse or being led by chariots, by, on a chariot, being led by multiple horses. But here Jesus is riding on a donkey, and it's how God wants it. This is not accident. This is millennia and centuries of, of messianic prophetic fulfillment. All right, so if you go to Zechariah 9, chapter 9, and I'm just going to pop over there uh, briefly, this is, this is why Jesus is uh, excited about this donkey, but this is why it is also riding this donkey is, at, is actually announcing his Messiahship. All right, look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, look at this. Uh, the, the prophet is saying, behold, your king is coming to you. This is all messianic uh, terminology, all right? Speaking of the king or the Messiah that is going to come free all of Israel uh, of, their, of their, their sins and all of their burdens and all of their oppressors, all right? Rejoice greatly, a daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, a daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Yes, look at this, though. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, Man, if I was going to give this, uh, this sermon a title as of now, I would call this Humble King. So Jesus is not coming into Jerusalem, you know, having to, to use the, the, the mob, so to speak, or having to use military might to show his greatness. He is, he is showing his greatness in a humble king kind of way by walking in the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. So Zechariah is saying, hey, here's how your king is going to come. And this is, this is not the kind of king that Israel wanted. This is not the kind of king that we want, all right? We don't like movies of humble heroes. We like movies of people that know how to operate in paybacks. We love people that get taken advantage of and then th th go kill the people that took advantage of them. We celebrate. There's something about that. This is, this is Jesus, though, is, is a whole different kind of hero, and here he is, he's riding into Jerusalem, the city that's going to kill him, the city that's going to reject him, and he's coming in, he's riding on a, on a donkey. What, what riding, the significance of riding on a donkey is, is significant because he is saying that I'm going to, the salvation that I'm carrying is not military in nature. The salvation that I'm carrying is peaceable in nature. I'm not saying that Jesus is a pacifist. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that what he's doing now, that the price that he's going to be paying is, is he's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be anyone else's bloodshed, but his. All right? He's going to be sacrificing here himself. Okay, so this is not a military takeover. This is fulfillment of messianic prophecy. He's carrying peace. He's walking in humility. It's so significant. C.S. Lewis says this. Here's how he defines humility. is that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So Jesus isn't declaring in, in his humble kingship that he is nothing. In fact, he's, we're going to see you know, in further uh, verses that he is actually receiving the praise of the people. All right? So, so he's, he's not thinking little of himself, he's, he's just excited to go pay for the people's sins that he loves. 
All right? And so him riding the, the donkey into Jerusalem, this whole scene is a fulfillment of me- messianic prophecy, especially seen in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So what's happening on this day in history is Jesus is announcing that he is the Messiah and he's doing it humbly and he's doing it without chariots and he's doing it out, uh, without demonstration of the world's power. He's doing it in a kingdom Jesus way. I love it. So Jesus is announcing that he is the Messiah. But here's something else that's also going on is that Jesus is being acclaimed as king. All right? He's being acclaimed as king. And Jesus, if Jesus wasn't king, he'd be saying, hey, guys, thank you so much for all the stuff. But like, hey, you're worshiping me like king. I'm a good dude, but I'm not the king. The king's coming. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is receiving the praise, meaning I, I, I recognize your praise. I am the king. I can receive this. All right? We see this, just look at this again. I know I read it already, but starting in verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, that's the donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he's, in other words, they made him the center. They made him the the spectacle, so to speak. Look at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. That's what you do to kings coming into a city. You don't let the king's horse even touch the dirt, you see. Out of honor, look at verse 37, and as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. So this is a lot of people. They're rejoicing. They're praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen done by Jesus. And look at verse 38. What they're saying is, blessed is the king, you see, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And Jesus is receiving this. He's, he's, he's receiving this. He's saying, I am the king. Coming in the name of the Lord. I am the king. So I am the Messiah. I'm also being uh, acclaimed as the king because I am, Jesus is saying. We are not, he is. So Jesus is receiving praise. It's not false humility. Jesus is not saying, no, I'm not really that great. That's how we uh, describe humility these days. Someone who never takes a compliment. Someone that always operates in a false narrative of how bad they actually are. But yeah, you know, that's not Jesus here at all. Jesus is saying, I am the king. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that is eternally existent. All right. I'm the one that's been talked about for millennia and centuries. I, I am that person. I look different than some people thought. But I am that person. And look at the praise that Jesus receives. I I love this stuff. I was looking at him. This is Jesus. Here's the kind of praise that Jesus loves to receive. Praise that puts him at the center. All right? So they put Jesus on a donkey and he becomes becomes the, the main central piece of this moment. And that is exactly how Jesus likes it. So Jesus in the middle. We just sang about that today. Jesus at the center of it all. That is the kind of praise that Jesus loves when he's at the middle, all right? We have to be careful that some of the songs that we sing are praising Jesus and putting him in the middle, but some of the songs, and we get this from the Psalms, who, uh, the Psalms are actually songs, all right? And so they're worship songs, and some songs um, don't necessarily put Jesus in the middle, but they're putting us and our pain and our situation at the middle. Let's not call them un- un- you know, unholy, because if we're looking to Jesus in the moment of our pain, even though we're talking about ourselves, but we're looking to Jesus, Jesus is still in the middle, I would argue. All right? So song doesn't necessarily have to be saying, Jesus, you're the center. Jesus, you're the center. I love when it does, and I think Jesus loves when it does. Some of the songs can be saying, help me, Jesus, you're my only hope. And Jesus is in the center of that. All right? 
So praise that puts him at the center. Praise that honors. So verse 36 says, they spread their cloaks on the road. Jesus loves this, that people are doing the honoring thing. They're putting their cloaks. The book of Matthew says they also put their palm branches on the road. This is honoring because they're saying, you are so worthy that even the, the beast that you're riding on shouldn't touch the ground. This is, a, this is operating in honor. Man, the American church really needs to grow in this about what it is to operate in honor. But Jesus loves when he is honored in worship. He, he receives that, all right? This is my favorite one, though. Jesus loves to receive praise from large, loud, exuberant crowds. You, lo- you know that? Let's not forget that. Man, we've made it so awesome that, you know, the real church is happening in small groups just in houses. And that is real church. But I would say that the multitude of people gathering, praising Jesus, putting him at the center, honoring him by not letting his donkey touch the ground, that huge, exuberant, loud group with the loud declarations of who Jesus is, Jesus loves that. He's not the one that rebukes these people. It's actually the Pharisees that are. Jesus is receiving it. He's like, yeah, more. Come on now. More. So I just love when our church grows. I love when people come to Jesus and the crowd is enlarging. Jesus loves that. More than the church, I think. Let's let's not over-spiritualize something that actually hurts God's heart. The the church shrinking does... does not mean that we're holier. Like the, we've got, we carry the best news in the world and the, the church should be alive and growing in the darkest places, all right? So praise from large, loud, exuberant crowds. We see that in verse 37. Let me just read it because I, I feel that, man, there, there was faith in the room until I t- talked about large crowds and then it all left. Let me just show you here. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the road of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude the multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. All right? Have, have you seen the meme on Insta? And it's, it's, a, it's Luke Skywalker, and it says, this is how, how Baptist, uh, you know, and this is a Baptist enjoying worship. And it's like Luke Skywalker giving like a death stare, all right? Not an ounce of joy in there. And like somehow we spiritualize that. As, as holy. But here, there's, rejoicing is joy in action. Rejo- uh, rejoicing is joy in motion. All right? So when you look at joy, the, if you think about the best thing that could ever happen to you, let's say all of you today were given $10 million, or let's say that you have a, a sick relative that is instantly healed, or so the, the most beautiful thing happens to you, all right? And the joy that would come out of your, of your life, the, the display, not just the, not just the feeling of it, not just the discipline of it, but the fruit of it manifesting your life, that is rejoicing. It's, it's the display of joy, and this is what the crowd is doing. Jesus loves it. He, the, the crowd began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. There is a time for reverence and whispering where you don't want to utter a word in God's presence. And then there was a time to crank it up and go loud. And, say, and this was a time. Jesus says, I want the multitude. I want the multitude operating indignantly in joy. I want the multitude praising God. And I don't want them praising just to themselves in the quietness of of their hearts. I want them to be loud. This is all happening right here. And then then you look at all this, and this is happening. I'm adding one more thing to this, that Jesus loves praise with Scripture. When you actually sing and shout and declare the Bible, Look at verse 38. 
If you've never prayed the Bible, if you don't know what to pray, pray the Bible. All right? Works every time. Like a charm. All right, not like a charm, that's demonic, but honestly, that's, uh, honestly it is. We saw it works like a charm, like man, yeah, (laughs) are you serious? Uh, So uh, anyway, so do you know that like the world, let let me go off on this, I wasn't playing on this, but the charms, the the little, the uh, little crystals and stuff we wear about around our necks, those attract demons, all right? Those are not from God. God doesn't put power in crystals and then bless you for it with, with uh, divine new age affirmations, all right, that, that is not from God. If you're operating in that, burn it, all right? Get it out of your life and then sit down for soul care so you can also get the attached demons off of you as well because that is, you're just welcoming that, all right? So, so, yeah, so anyway, that, so it doesn't work like a charm. It works like a promise. How about that, all right? Works like a promise. So look at, look at verse 38. Um, bless, here's, here's what they are declaring. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now stop right there. That is, is a quote directly from scriptures. It's Psalm 146, verse 1. All right? So they're, they're proclaiming scripture in loud, rejoicing, exuberant ways. The whole, the whole mass of them, the whole community of them, all the disciples, as Jesus is coming in, they're saying, you're the Messiah. We're acclaiming you as king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're quoting Old Testament scripture. It's really great. But here's the other thing that I, I just saw. Um, can I take a risk with you today? And I don't know if I'm right on this or not, but if you continue to read in my study, look at verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, I found that. Psalm 146, verse 1. But then look at this. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you know what? I looked for that, and I see that, I see that concept in Scripture, but that is not a direct quote from anywhere in the Bible that I found. Except, except for Matthew, this is what the angels sang on the day or the night that Jesus was born. All right? So here's what I'm concluding. All right? Here's what I'm concluding, that we love worshiping with, uh, with scripture, but also you know what else is legal? Heaven songs. Heaven songs. What angels are singing. If an angel wakes, up, wakes you up in the night and sings you a song, I would say sing that song. All right? If it, heaven songs. Is this is, I know you think I'm weird and maybe I'm way, way off. Maybe I'm just drunk as, as anything, all right? But I'm just saying, I think, biblically speaking, heaven songs are, are legal, legit, and awesome. Jesus doesn't say, hold on a second. That one is a quote from Scripture, but that one, that was just sang by the angels when I was born. He doesn't correct anybody. He's like, yeah, yeah, that, that one's good. The heaven song, the, the angelic anthem. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. It's not unbiblical. It's, it just is what the angels sang in Matthew at Jesus' birth. So this is, so Jesus is, is acclaimed as king, and as he's being acclaimed, by, uh, uh, acclaimed as king, he is receiving all of this praise. And do you know that the, the people who think it's wrong, let's, let's be honest here, and I already mentioned this, and we already read this, but Jesus doesn't think anything here is wrong. There's angel songs being sung. There's the Bible being declared and, and sung. We, we've got, we've got it, it's loud, it's exuberant, it's joyous. There's, there's branches being laid on the ground. There's a Jesus at the center riding a donkey declaring that he is, he is the Messiah. Man, all of this stuff is going on, and do you know who has a problem? Problem with it is not Jesus. Let's just look at that and let that hit all this stuff. All right, 
You know, the Bible said, like, you know, we get, <laughs> you, you, would, you would love to, you know, hear all that. I don't really know. The people that are waving banners and flags, is their heart right and stuff? Like, nobody asked you that, like, when you, like, you, you, when you showed up here today. Like, no one said, did you come for the right reasons, you know? Do you know the Bible says that his banner over me is love? You know, like, there's, there's a lot of biblical backing to flags and banners and all this stuff. But, but you're more like a Pharisee when you're a motive policing people then you are like Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does God give any other person the right to judge motives, all right? And here we are in the context of worship. Here, here come the Pharisees, and, and they actually tell Jesus what to do, which is, this, do you know the, the phrase bass backwards? I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I just said it, you know? All right, this is, this is we're getting the cart before the horse here. I'm feeling like an old man. I'm using all these, these things. But here's, you don't walk up to the eternally begotten Son of God, the Messiah, and tell him what to do when he's at the center announcing his Messiahship being worshipped. And here are these guys, the Pharisees, they, they think he's wrong, and then not only do they, do they think this is all wrong, but they actually they have the unction to tell him what to do. And here's, here's what shows this, is, this exposes the motives of their hearts, all right? So we don't have to wonder what their motives are. We just get to look and see because they say, look, verse 39, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Well, rebuke, not just, not just let's, man, can we tone it down like we're going deaf here? We're hitting decibel levels that are just not really great. Like, can we just tone it down? They're saying, no, no, like, this is wrong. Rebuke your disciples. But do you see what they call him? He's announcing his kingship and his messiahship, and they call him teacher. So they don't know who they're dealing with. Of course, they're not as excited as the other people who see him as the Messiah, who, who's that, who they've actually had their lives touched by him and healed by him and, and raised by him and changed by him. Can you imagine the people in this crowd, all the people that Jesus has, has impacted and influenced with his life, right? Jesus is more than just a good teacher to those people, to the people that actually have joy activated in their hearts that are being exuberant in his presence, but to the Pharisees who are, whose hearts are blocked off by their own re, man-made religions, they just see this guy as a teacher the best. He teaches. He's a good teacher. But that's it. He's not the Messiah. He's not the king. We cannot receive him as that. And so that is, that is the, the sub point that, the, Pharisee, that the, the Pharisees don't like the worship and the exuberance. But the main point, the main point is that Jesus is declaring who he is and the Pharisees don't get it. The Pharisees see Jesus as no more than a teacher. They don't see him as the promised Messiah. And the crowd is putting Jesus at the center, treating Jesus as king, applying messianic prophecy to Jesus, and Jesus is good with it. But the Pharisees aren't. All right, man, I love what Jesus says next. You see verse 40. This is one of the most famous passages. But Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, just, just stupidity. As I tell you, if these, meaning the crowd gone Pentecostal on us, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Wow, that, that's, that's quite a thing to say. So if these people quiet down. So listen, once again, Jesus is telling us with his own mouth, there's a time for silence and this is not it. All right, this is not it. Because if there was silence on the scene, the inanimate objects would grow mouths. So what Jesus is saying, here's what I think Jesus is saying, is he's saying, 
I am God. I am God. And I'm worthy of praise. So worthy that if those who were fashioned for my glory to know me and to enjoy me and to praise me don't, then just inanimate creation will have to. That's how much I'm worth and that's how awesome I am. He's a humble king. But he, and he's riding a donkey. But he, is, but he knows who he is. And he's walking in it. I love it. Man, I, I, I hope that, uh, this, you know, that, that rocks don't have to grow mouths around providence. Right? I mean, I just hope that there's always a song in our hearts and there's always praise for, from our hearts and all, all, off our lips to Jesus. All right? But let me, let me just move to, you know, just this last part, that perhaps the most startling part of this passage for me is in verses 41 and 42. So when Jesus drew near and saw the city, that's the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Can I tell you this? After all the things that Jesus has just done, when Jesus gets to the place where he sees the city that he knows will reject him, that, that, no, that he knows will uh, renounce him, that he knows will leave him, abandon him, and ultimately crucify him, he doesn't see the city and get angry or frustrated. He sees the city and weeps. Now, I, I was remembering, I had the, this memory, actually this morning, I was remembering when one of the people, when I was in high school, one of the people that picked on me the hardest, made my life an absolute misery, uh, was this guy, and I won't say his name. It's interesting, his first name is Steve, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, but uh, anyway, I remember he made my life so, so, so miserable. I just, I hated even going to school because of this guy, and he just used me in my kindness to, I mean, you know, he, he was just hurt and broken. He needed people to feel good around him, and people that are picking on you feel bad about themselves, all right? This guy was doing that, and I remember, though, when I was 24 years old, um, I went to the DMV to renew my license, and I saw this guy. And I remember as soon as I saw him, I got super, super angry. See, it's time doesn't heal wounds, all right? And I had taken frustration into my heart, and I had been walking in it, all right? Even, even It was still alive in me. All I needed to do was I needed to see this guy, and I got instantly angry. It took me right back to six years ago or eight years ago or whenever when this guy was just using me and abusing me. All right, and I got super, super angry, and then I remember this. This guy at 24 years old was already bald, and I, then I was like, I was like smiling. I was like, yes, man, you look stupid. You know, I was like, ha, ha. Like, I was doing this in my heart. I was just like, man, yes, that's what you get. That's what you deserve, Steve. You know, that's what I was saying in my heart. And see, like, we love justice, we love vengeance, those are the movies we watch, all this stuff. But you know what, Jesus, man, Jesus, is anybody glad that Jesus is not like us? Is anyone glad that Jesus is actually, he's starting a new thing, and he's powerful enough to heal the places in our hearts so when we see a Steve in our life, we can actually hurt for them like he does. Because when Jesus looks on, this isn't just one person that he's looking at when he comes into Jerusalem and he, he sees the city. When he sees the city, he sees a whole people and the entire people are going to murder him, nail him to a cross, and like it. But when Jesus sees the city, he doesn't start thinking about all these things. Here I am riding into this town for you. All you people that are surrounding me right now, you're, you're gonna leave me in a matter of five days. This isn't real. 
all this stuff. And here I am. I have to step off heaven's throne. I have to enter the space-time continuum. I have to live a perfect life all for you. And here you're just going to murder me anyway? Jesus, Jesus doesn't think that. It's true. But he doesn't even feel that. Didn't even feel that. It's the heart of Jesus. This, I think this is what blows people's minds, that people are expecting to come to church. And they're expecting that. They're thinking about all the things that they've done. I remember giving a Bible to a guy on the elect, electrician job site. And when I put it in his hands, he touched it, and he dropped it, and he said, that thing just shocked me. And I was like, well, maybe it did. It's powerful. But he said, I could never come. I invited him to church. I could never come to church. Here's what he says. If I walk into your church, I'd be struck dead by God. And I said, well, that's what you deserve. That's what we all deserve. We've all murdered Jesus. We all decided that we would be a better king over our lives than him. That's what we deserve. But can I tell you that Jesus isn't angry at you? He hates your sin. It screwed up your lives. But I can tell you that, when, that Jesus isn't angry at you. In fact, when he looks on your life, he weeps. All your broken places, all the places that you rejected him, all the stuff, all the hurt that you picked up along the way, he actually weeps, he weeps, he weeps. And this word isn't Jesus shed a tear. He's like, well, it's too bad, but let's keep going. This is, this is the same word that we get in John chapter 11 when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he sees Mary and Martha crying and Jesus is overcome. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's, it's, not, it's not shedding a tear, it's, it's convulsing in pain. Emotional pain. So G Jesus, imagine, imagine this. Everybody is rejoicing. Palm branches are flying. You know, rocks are, are on the verge of, of busting out praise out of inanimate mouths. This is what a scene. <laughs> and here Jesus is in the middle of it, weeping, weeping. This is the heart of God, people. This is the heart of God. When Jesus sees you in all of your sin, he weeps. When, though you reject him, he weeps. When you renounce him, he weeps. When you actually want him dead and, and cheer at, at his slaughter, guess what he does? He weeps. And Jesus sees Jerusalem, the city that actually literally put hands on the man. And stoned him, and he cries over it, and his heart breaks for them. This is, this is, how could it be? This makes no worldly sense. This is absolutely illogical. This is not scientific. You can't plug this into any equation and come out with this answer. This is, abs this is absolute insanity. It's because Jesus just is that good. And he loves you that much that when he looks at you and he looks at your neighbors and he looks at the people at your work and he looks at the American government, and he looks at China, he looks at people that have different agendas and are messing up the earth. Jesus looks at those people and doesn't start sharpening swords. He looks at these people and he cries over them. He says, oh man, Look at this, look what he says, verse 42. Would that you, now this isn't would that you. Man, don't read this like that. Just think, think about a, a, a parent crying out to their prodigal child. <laughs> would 
that. You just come home. Let me take care of you. Let me help you. Think of a, a, a spouse that leaves and the, the spouse that remains is crying out, I don't care what you've done. I want us to be, like, we, we have a history here. Think about a lover looking for their lost love. Would that you, would that you, would that you not get what you deserve, not get repaid, not get back here and let me, let me show you what it is to you know, be a man. I'm gonna, uh, that is not the heart of the father. The heart of the father, we see in the prodigal son story where the father breaks all the cultural norms and runs to the one who deserves a spanking, who deserves not what he's getting. This is the heart of the father and Jesus carries it here as well as it can possibly see, be seen in scripture. Would that you, would that you, would that you, if you had known the things that make for peace. Listen, what I want, what Jesus is declaring over a city is that what I've wanted all along is I've wanted the, the peace of the city, the peace of the people in the city. What I've wanted you, and I've come bearing peace. I'm not riding a chariot, I'm riding a donkey here. Like I, I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm coming bringing you peace. Would that you have wanted me. Would, would that you have embraced this. Would they, look at the last verse here. You did not know the time of your visitation. Would you have seen me for who I am, the Messiah, the eternally begotten one, the one sent into space and time who exists outside of it, like I came would you have seen this? Would that you have seen this and wanted me? But you didn't. And Jesus doesn't cry and say, fine, you're going to get what you deserve. That's what we think good leadership is. That's what we think good parenting is. Consequences, consequences, consequences. Do you know that consequences never win somebody's heart? You know that? Makes us feel good. Jesus cries where usually we give consequences. Jesus, he weeps. His heart breaks. Because he, listen to this, I don't know what you've been writing over your life. I don't know what you've been calling yourself. I don't know what you, when your smile comes off and you're just home by yourself, all right? When you're just alone in your room. I don't know what you think about yourself. I don't know, like, the banner over your life. I don't know what, what it is to you, all right? But I know what it is to Jesus. Do you know what it is to Jesus? Wanted, 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 really wanted, really wanted, really wanted, loved, loved. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. You don't earn his love. You don't prove yourself. He, you're a love because you're a love. You're a love because he is love. You're just loved. You're just loved. And when Jesus sees the people that have rejected him or that are about to reject him, he just loves them. And he weeps and he cries. It's, it's oh that you was kind of like, I wish that you, I wish that you just knew me. I wish that you knew my heart. I wish that, that you, you returned the longing. I wish that, that we could have been in a relationship together. I wish that, that we were in this together. Man, it would be great. Man, I wish that you. So I'm just wondering here this morning about how many people here see an unbiblical view of Jesus. You see him as someone that actually wants to, if you would come back to him, you have to, you have to brace for a whipping. That is not how Jesus operates. He wants to win your heart, but he's not gonna win your heart by beating you. He took your beating. This is the God, he took your beating, all right? 
Could it be that when Jesus sees you on your worst day, <laughs> on your worst day, could it be that when Jesus sees you, when you've rejected him, even the, the, the moment of the rejection, remember Peter rejecting Jesus and Jesus is looking at Peter, it's just, man, he's still loving him. Could it, could it be that when you've run as far as you possibly can in the opposite direction of Jesus, of his heart, of his kingdom, of his love, Man, and you're hooked on drugs, and you've, you've hurt people, and there's a massive weird, there's a horrible wake as a result of your life. Could it be that Jesus looks on you and still wants you, loves you, cries over you, hurts for you, with you? I would say it, it, it's, not, it's not a question. It is an absolute fact, my friends. That when Jesus looks at you on your worst day, when you've rejected him, when, you, when you've run far in the opposite direction of his heart, he weeps over you. He hurts for you because he wants peace for you. He wants you two to have a thing together. Man, if the church could get that message going again. Like, the message that the church kind of carries now is kind of watered down. Say, I think you'll like my church. This is a great kids program. All my kids like it. I want to raise them in the church. That's, that, this is worldly mentality. The church has seen a Jesus that wants them when they didn't want him. <laughs> and just let Jesus chase him down. Tack him to the ground, roll around with him, kiss on him, love on him, give him rings that they don't deserve, robes that they don't deserve, could never earn. Call him sons and daughters. This is, this is the gospel. Now, this isn't, this isn't you, you have to, you, have to you know, work yourself out of purgatory kind of gospel. Work off your sins. Your sins don't get worked off. They're paid for by Jesus. Jesus pays for all your sins. He says, Man, I've paid for it all. You have to receive this, though. There's so many people that think they're Christians working for Jesus. Angels wish that they could be sons and daughters like us. They're serving. We're belonging through the gospel, receiving the gospel by faith, not by works. Could it be that when Jesus sees you, he cries over you and he wants you? And here's another thing. Here's just a call to the leaders of this house. Or maybe you're not even a leader in this house, but you're a leader in general. Here's just a short call to us. The, the call to lead in the church is the call to be like Jesus in our leadership. To not lead with frustration. To cry over the people, to pray over the people that we're leading to walk in humility. That if you haven't cried over the people that you lead, you're not leading them. When Nehemiah was about to build the wall, he wept. All right? That is the found, that's the first thing when it comes to a leader. The, the, the church isn't made of ticked off leaders who are like want to be agents of change and like this could be better operating and using people. The church is led by broken people who love Jesus' dream, crying over the brokenness around them and wanting to be Jesus to the people around them. Walking in humility, walking in tears. In fact, man, that when the church was really at its best was in the early days when they're actually giving their lives, not unsheathing their swords, when they're actually giving their sword was their life being burned at the stake. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Not people standing for their rights. The people 
willingly laying down their rights for the good of others. That's Jesus-style leadership. So I'm just wondering here this morning if there's anybody here this morning who you've seen Jesus as someone that you actually think he wants to spank you more than he wants to hug you, that you have to work for instead of receive from. I just want you to picture Jesus right now wanting you, loving you, crying over you, all your brokenness, and actually having the, the payment price for you ready to go. I want you to see Jesus. And this morning, I just want you to receive it. Just say, Jesus, I'll take that by faith. I just trust you. I don't trust me anymore. I don't trust institutions anymore. I, I trust you. I just receive all the forgiveness. I just receive all the love. I just receive all that you bought from me. I just receive sonship if, if I'm a man. I receive daughtership if I'm a woman. I just receive it all from you, and I'm going to become who you say I am, and you're going to be my new hero, and you're going to be the new treasure of my life, and I just, I just want you. And God can change your life that way this morning. And maybe you're here today, and God has given you influence, and, and, and you're in leadership, but you've been, you've been leading with frustration as the tip of the spear. You've been plowing the ground with frustration instead of tears. And today God's calling you leaders back to tears, back to hurting over people, back to just being broken over people. Instead of expecting them to be better for Jesus, they don't even know Jesus. They need the gospel, the gospel message, and you're messing it up. So I just want to call you guys here you know, this morning. I don't even know what to do. Remember when we started out, I couldn't even talk straight. I just really feel like God is doing something here. I feel like I just need to get out of the way. But some of you, here's, here's what I'll say. I'm going to walk off stage, all right? And I'm going to let, you know, magic fingers over here just minister to us, all right? But if you were here and you, you, you need to receive Jesus for who he actually is, not the Jesus that you thought you received, I want you to come to the front. Just get on your knees. Just get at his feet. Just hang out with him, let him minister to you. And then if you want to restart as a leader at Providence, you want to say, hey, you know, you know the song that we sang? I don't know exactly what, how it, it was a Keith Green song, oh, Lord, you're beautiful, for my reward is bringing you glory. That has to pulse through the veins of a leader. And so if, if you want that back, I would just say, hey, leaders, just kind of get on, the, get on the ground on this one today and just return to that. And then the, the, our, our ministry team's just going to find you and pray over you, and we're just going to let stuff fly as it goes. And man, I, I just looked at the time. I'm like way over, but who, who cares? Man, I've never had a good meal before and said, oh, wow, we were, I'm sorry, guys, for how great this was. I'm not, I'm, I just want to eat him. I, I just, man, I want to I I linger with him, amen? So let's, let's, just, let's just receive something here. Heavenly Father, for those of us who have to go, like I get it, families, appointment, all that stuff. It is so good, and I just, I just release people today with a blessing. But for some of us who can't go, we can't go yet until we actually receive Jesus for who Jesus actually is, until we get a heart for your glory back in our veins, we can't go. So I just pray, God, that you give people courage and faith to walk into that. So we just bless you. We thank you. We're going into Holy Week here. We thank you for the people that you're going to heal inside, outside, all around on Wednesday. We're going to remember you, your body and your blood. We thank you for Good Friday. We thank you for Imposter on Saturday night. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. God, we're, we're counting on you to supply the power, God. And we just ask you to do great, marvelous, 
and mighty things in these days. I just thank you for these people, that you love them, that you want them. I pray that they walk in that this day. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org. Thank you.